0: It's Amy's Table, a girl's guide to living with Amy Tobin on Q102. Pull up a chair and join us. Stephanie Stiavetti is a freelance food writer, recipe developer, and digital food media mistress. Her work's been featured on NPR, Huffington Post, and Serious Eats. She's been blogging since before blogging was invented, and you can find her online at her award-winning food blog, TheCulinaryLife.com And she's joining me today on Amy's Table to talk about her book, Melt! The Art of Macaroni and Cheese Good morning, Stephanie. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: So you had me at at melt. I mean, macaroni and cheese, come on, it is one of my favorite foods, no joke, and I laugh. It's like foods that have been around as long as there's been pasta and cheese, you know, it's been a perpetual favorite, you know, generation after generation after generation. Why do you think that's so?
1: Oh, I totally get it, and I think that a lot of people share this sentiment. And macaroni and cheese, there's something about, the melty folds and the hearty pasta. And, you know, hot cheese is something that Americans have clung to for centuries. I mean, look at the popularity of pizza and macaroni and cheese is pretty much the embodiment of like everything we find comforting about food. You've got salty, creamy goodness, and you've got carbs, and you've got, you know, a smattering of breadcrumbs or maybe bacon, depending on what you you love. And I mean, can you think of anything better,
0: really? No, I, I actually can't. And it's funny, I don't know if I'm correct about this historically, but I think like so many things that we love, it probably came from a savvy cook trying to use up stuff. Is that accurate? You know, maybe a few rinds of cheese and some leftover pasta, and they put it together and baked it.
1: Well, some of the earliest macaroni and cheese recipes uh, came over from Europe where, you know, the average person in Italy was using maybe Parmesan or a hard cheese that kept really well. And we mentioned in the book, um, and I believe that this is, you know, pretty much proven historically, is that it came over via Thomas Jefferson who had spent some time in Europe, uh, you know, traveling back and forth between Europe, Italy and Monticello. And he tasted this dish, which was essentially shredded Parmesan over pasta and was smitten. And he brought back pasta and uh, extruders and different cheeses and, you know, all the technology, quote, technology, needed to produce macaroni and cheese at home, which he then gave off to his family and his wife and daughter who were responsible for, you know, preparing dinners, state dinners for the government. And... Then it was born.
0: <laughs> yeah, in today's terminology, I guess we'd say it went viral, huh? <laughs>
1: absolutely. I mean, again, how could you not live macaroni and cheese even three, 400 years ago? People were like, this is the epitome of love in food.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that it's it's funny. In my estimation, it's a very easy dish to make and a very easy dish to riff on, you know. But for a lot of people, real live mac and cheese, not out of a blue box, is daunting. So what do you think are the real um, steps to success for making a homemade really good mac and cheese?
1: Well, I think that your number one step is to figure out the best way in your experience to make a bechamel sauce, which is actually very easy. And even as somebody who cooks for a living, for years, I was rude deficient, and I can admit that now. <laughs> Basically, I had a difficult time combining butter and flour to make a paste that would thicken milk. And I'm not sure where I was going wrong. It took me years to figure it out. But then once I figured it out, I was like, oh, this is very simple. And I remember being chided by friends. Like, oh, can you not bake a potato either? Basically, <laughs> what it comes down to is you take a little bit of butter... And you heat it in a pan. I I often now let it sit in the pan until it starts to brown a little bit and you get a nice nutty flavor. And then you throw in the flour and you mix it regularly until it thickens up and it starts to darken a little bit. And then you toss in some milk, maybe a little bit of salt and pepper. Um, And then you stir and stir and stir until it thickens. And then... You toss in the cheese, and here is the only caveat, because despite my difficulty making roux, it's actually incredibly easy. And I think that in my case, I was spiking myself out, which I would bet is the problem with the vast majority of people that can't make a bechamel. Um, you gotta take it slow. You gotta take it easy. You can't rush good food. And the biggest issue that people run into once they get past the roux is cheese is an emulsion. And if you heat it too quickly, it will break. And we all know that really bummer pit in your stomach feeling when you're stirring a sauce and suddenly you've got liquids on one side, solids on the other, and that's just the the death knell for your, your cooking enthusiasm. And what you can do to prevent that is you create your bechamel and then you turn off the heat and you add the cheese to the sauce after you've turned off the heat, which slowly heats it. And allows it to melt more slowly, which creates a much better emulsion into the sauce. And the fats stay where they're supposed to stay. And the liquids stay where they're supposed to stay. And you end up with a beautiful velvety sauce.
0: That's fantastic. So low and slow with the cheese. I like that so much. So one of the things I know that can happen when you taste mac and cheese is you can get sometimes a grainy character. So let's talk about that. And the other is you can not get that. I mean, you, of course, know Velveeta and you know that mm-hmm. you know that ridiculous <laughs> creaminess that comes from that. Sometimes people are hoping to achieve that. So do you have mm-hmm. tips for avoiding the grainy and getting the extra creamy?
1: Sure. Well, often the graininess that you'll have in macaroni and cheese is a broken sauce. So I know that You know, a lot of people, I get complaints from people, you know, when I meet people out on book tour and they say, oh, my macaroni and cheese, what can I do to fix this? And a lot of what it is is people will get this graininess in a baked casserole. And once again, that's cooking it, that's cooking the cheese, heating the cheese too quickly, too hot, and it ends up breaking. And another problem that people have in grainy macaroni and cheese is they often didn't add enough liquid. Mm -hmm. You can put a ton of cheese. And cheese sauce, like you make your bechamel and you add the cheese, and it will hold a lot of cheese. But once you bake it, like a lot of that moisture evaporates into your oven and out into the atmosphere. And what you're left with is essentially a dry cheese sauce. And some people actually prefer the grainy texture. Like mm-hmm. I actually made a, uh, a baked mac and cheese for my father-in-law. It was a little drier than I would have liked. And he said, no, this is great. I love it. And so, you know, maybe it has its place. But sure. the only thing I can say is to make sure you don't add too much cheese to the sauce uh, and then make sure, again, that you don't heat it too quickly. So, you know, you don't want to bake a macaroni and cheese casserole at 425 for an hour. Instead, what I would recommend is heating it at, you know, somewhere around 325, 350 if you've got the time, and heating it for a longer instead of a shorter amount of time. And then if you really want that brown crispiness on top, toss it under the broiler and you're all set.
0: So I love this. This low and slow theme is sort of sticking to all the way through the recipe. So what about that extra creaminess?
1: The extra creaminess, well, again, that has to do with the cheese that you're using, right, and how you make your sauce. So if you're using... A little bit of Parmesan and a bechamel, like you'll get a relatively creamy sauce because what's actually creating the cream, creamy texture in your macaroni and cheese is the sauce itself. Right. Some cheeses melt really, really well into a cheese sauce. Some cheeses don't melt at all. So cheeses like goat cheese won't melt. Cheeses like Parmesan melt. Um, but they're going to maintain a little bit of their texture, depending on how much you add. Other cheeses, such as a dry mozzarella, the kind you see on pizza, uh, cheddar cheeses, um, not aged cheddars, but like younger cheddars, the ones that are softer, uh, that are a little bit more pliable. Um, and then you know the whole range of, of fancier cheeses like Goudas and Gruyères. Uh, again, cheeses that are kind of soft and silky when you touch them. If they're shredded and added to a sauce, they'll be incredibly creamy. But Again, you got to sort of practice a little bit of restraint because if you put too much cheese in that uh, in that sauce, then go overboard, you know. And right. Chemically speaking, like there's a, just a limit to how much fat you can add to you know a sauce, and after a while, you know, some weird things start to happen with the texture. So I think that the best advice would be to practice moderation. And if you've got a recipe or several recipes that you love, make those consistently. The more you make them the more you'll develop the ability to kind of see what the texture of the sauce is supposed to look like. Exactly. And you can go ahead and riff on your own and make whatever you want. And the thing that I have to really push is for people to be comfortable with experimentation. Like people go into a kitchen and then they mess something up and then they're heartbroken and they're sad and it's (laughs) it's sad. It's a waste of ingredients. It's a waste of money and, you know, you're losing, you know, the woo-hoo that you had when you walked into the kitchen. But that's a big part of it is experimenting and failing. You know, you're learning. It's exactly. I love to
0: talk about the the Wright brothers, you know, how many times did they crash (laughs) to get flight, you know, and they were never stressed by that. They knew it was part of the process. Well, it's funny. Sometimes I will take the ends of whatever cheese is in my cheese drawer and make mac and cheese. And there are times where my family will be like, oh, my God. This is the best one ever. And I'm like, enjoy it now because you'll never see it again. (laughs) It was a one-off, you know. But I think that's not a bad way to approach it, too. Well, Stephanie shared with me the recipe, Drunken Goat with Edamame, Fennel, and Rotini Mac and Cheese. Oh, my God. That sounds so good. I'm going to put that on the website. But, of course, you can also find more information about Stephanie and her book, Melt the Art of Macaroni and Cheese. At Stephanie's blog, which is, all of a sudden I lost it. It is, can you say it, Stephanie?
1: TheCulinaryLife.com.
0: TheCulinaryLife.com and then also the book at MeltMacaroni.com. Stephanie, I am like ready to dive in and make a bunch of mac and cheese today. Thank you so much for the great tips and sharing some time with us this morning. Thanks so much for having me. Stick around for another helping from Amy's Table on Q102. Q102. 1-0-2 one out two.